What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode four of On the Edge with Slash. That's the man himself, Slash Cordell Stewart, the former Pro Bowler, former All-American. I'm Joe Sorala. You might remember me from episode one, the debut episode of On the Edge with Slash. I know we've switched up co-hosts on you, but Slash, you know, there's been one constant throughout this. You can't forget our name. No matter who you've worked with, you've always had a co-host named Joe. Joe C and Joe D. Pick one. It's all the same in the end. Oh, man. It's great. It's great. It's easy. And you know what? It's easy for us to work with you. I don't know if you know this, but Joe D is actually my closest friend out here in L.A. So either way, you're in good hands. You got a you got a couple of Italian Joes from the Northeast working with you. You're in good hands. Forget it. Forget about it. (laughs) Exactly. Forget about it. Hey, we've got a lot to dive into slash. I can't wait to hear your take on some Baker Mayfield comments that may or may not have happened. We're going to talk about your Steelers a week away from the NFL season kicking off. We'll even get to Serena Williams, the incredible stuff she's doing. But let's start with the man of the hour, Russ Wilson, with a ridiculous, and I say that in a good way, a ridiculous contract extension, five years, 245 mil, 165 of those 245 M's guaranteed. It's the third highest guaranteed deal in NFL history behind Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray. What's your raw reaction to that contract and Russ staying in Denver for the foreseeable future? Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, I think he had a phenomenal run with the Seattle Seahawks, taking him to two Super Bowls. Uh, When losing Marshawn Lynch, having to be the piece uh, to the puzzle when it comes to the running game to keep everything together, uh, making plays when needed, having marquee players. Uh, on the defensive side and on the offensive side, but never really could get it to that championship caliber performance, uh, but was always consistent. And to see his opportunity to be taken to Denver uh, is pretty remarkable considering how happy they are about having him. And I think that 245 million, 165 of it is guaranteed over five years. Tell you how they feel, but most important, let me tell you what they gave up. They gave up two first round picks. They gave up a second rounder. They gave up tight end Noah Font. They gave up defensive end Shelby Harris and also QB Drew Locke for Russell Wilson. So I think it's fitting, to say the least, that getting him the money that he deserves, considering all that they've given up, uh, I I think it was the obvious uh, when it was all said and done. The question became, if anything, when having these discussions, would this number be as astronomical as it is? But that's the playing field. Uh, you have Aaron Rodgers who set the field for 50 million bucks a year. This contract has him at 49 million bucks per year. Uh, I think that's suitable for he and his family, uh, to say the least, let alone being able to have a home to stay and talked about playing for another 10 to 12 years, considering what we see taking place with Tom Brady being 44 to 45 years of age. Russell Wilson saying the same, you know what? Hey, can I have the opportunity to play that long? So the question for me, after five years, what's that number going to look like? If this is just 245, what's that number going to look like? But I think this is something that they need there in Denver for stability is concerned. They have new management in the Walton family. Um, I think something that everyone's trying to put their eye on to figure out how is this going to work, being that they're a business family when it came down to Walmart to now all of a sudden getting into the world of sports. Um, it's, it's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, I think it's going to be enlightening, I think, because now I think they're talking about getting a new stadium name or new stadium, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot of good energy going on up there in Denver. Uh, and, and Russell Wilson leading the helm has made this division in the AFC West that much more competitive. 
I, I mean, there's no doubt it's the best division in football. If you look at it top to bottom, especially with the quarterback play in that division. Now, I'm glad that you mentioned Tom Brady and you're talking about age because Russ Wilson slash is already 33 years old. Now, here's a little stat about Russ. I don't know if a lot of people realize this. Russ Wilson's also throughout his first decade in the NFL, the winningest quarterback in league history. Most wins of any quarterback first 10 years, but he's already 33. This is a five-year extension. It's going to take him to damn near 40 years old. So does that concern you? Because when you look at other guys who got the big deal, you know, Kyler's still a baby, right? Deshaun, obviously, there's a lot of issues. And we talked about this in the debut episode we did together. There's a lot surrounding Deshaun. But just age-wise, he's still young, still in his prime. Russ being 33 and getting a deal like this, does that worry you at all? That's the old, older age for quarterbacks. Now this new world when Drew Brees coming out was in his his 40s. You have Aaron Rodgers who's knocking on the door if he's not already. Mm -hmm. You have obviously Tom Brady that we've mentioned. Peyton Manning. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, who just retired. Guys are in the upper echelon of the 30s to the lower lower portion of the 40s. So that number is a, that's a young number. The game has been set up in a way that allows quarterbacks and players in general to be able to last last at least another five years. When it comes to uh, the defenseless rule that they have on on players that are trying to make plays and you get blocked from the blind side, uh, to the way you hit the quarterbacks, whether it's the shoulder above to below the knees, uh, you have so many rules that are in play that's allowing players to play much longer to the point where you're having someone like a Tom Brady who's wanting to retire after this past season saying all of a sudden within a month or so later saying he wants to come back and play again. So I guess next on that list, we'll see if it'll be Gronkowski, right? Oh, uh, he'll see, be back. He'll end up trying to come back, right? Oh, so, yeah. you know, it, it, it's, it's laid out for players to play up, especially the skill position players, like the quarterbacks, the tight ends, to some, maybe not the corners because these receivers are coming out there so much faster. But you're talking about quarterbacks, tight ends, um, maybe a safety or maybe a few old linemen, if you will. But quarterbacks is that is that one position that I think has the opportunity to benefit more when it comes down to the age not necessarily being an issue. But the thing you know about Russell Wilson is his feet are a big piece to what he does. Will he still be able to, as years go by, 10 to 12 years that he mentioned, will he still be able to be as elusive as he is today at 33. Right. So what do you see from Russ right now when it comes to the complete game, when it comes to his mobility? Obviously, you know, you did it during your era better than anyone. You can you can see it better than anyone. Yeah. Look, he's no Lamar Jackson, but does Russ still have, in your opinion, the mobility he had maybe six years ago? He has enough. He has enough. You don't you don't need to have the Lamar Jackson speed or the speed that I had or the Michael Vicks. You just need enough to get out of trouble. You know, but he has enough to get you more than just getting out of trouble. He can get you a first down. He can scamper and get you a touchdown. He can get you a 40, 50 yard gain. I think it's just going to boil down to his condition, which we know he's very well conditioned. If you watch him on social media or anything affiliated to the work ethic that he puts into his body, whether it's foods or training or, or just 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 well, the well-being of his being, his person, um, he's proven that he'll be able to be okay. I'm not concerned at all about Russell Wilson. He's one of the smart ones in the game. Uh, you know, he's getting information from some of the legends in the past. I think I saw where Peyton Manning came back to chop it up with him and some film work during the, uh, once he got to 
Denver uh, saw that happen. So he's he's putting himself in the right places to make sure he keeps uh, the iron really sharp when it comes down to his mindset of how the game is played. Because nowadays it's really between the ears and can you get the ball out your hand pretty fast? And he can't do that. So, you know, Slash, this is definitely going to be a big adjustment for him. He spent the first 10 years of his career in Seattle, obviously, and now going over to Denver. I got to ask you, as someone who played there, who played against the Broncos, man, what's that like playing in Denver, especially as a quarterback? Just in Colorado. Well, one, I went to University of Colorado, so I'm, I'm, that's my stomping grounds, right? I mean, yeah. I just love it. The clean living, uh, the supernatural, if you will, uh, the mountains that you see that if you lived in New Orleans, you would not see at home other than on postcards. <laughs> uh, even places like Chicago, flatland, places that are flatland places when you see, you know, areas like Miami even, uh, where it's more water-based. But when you think of how it is in Denver, it is, it is words can't really explain it when it comes to a lifestyle. Uh, you have to want to be there to be there. Um, but he'll enjoy himself. The fan base there in Denver is phenomenal. They love their Broncos. Uh, they bleed orange and blue. Um, you know, think about the heyday back when John Elway was playing Hall of Famer to, um, Sterling Sharp, uh, Steve Atwater. We go on and on with the with the guys that they had on that roster that were very, very good players. Terrell Davis, all guys I mentioned, Hall of Famers. Uh, you bring some excitement to that city with wins and su- some success, you're going to see the entire state jump on, on the bandwagon to support this football team because they've shown some greatness over the years. During the early years for John Elway, along at a time in the 90s when they had a chance to beat us there in Three Rivers to go on and win their first Super Bowl against the Green Bay Packers, to have an opportunity to go to another one to end up beating the Atlanta Falcons uh, back-to-back. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. And I think they have still some of the DNA floating around uh, in the organization. Uh, but it starts with the quarterback. And he does have that DNA. And he will be the pulse of what takes place on that team. So if you had to believe in Russ, I, I believe in him. So I, I love the names that you just brought up. Steve Atwater, that, that's a blast from the past. He's one of the first NFL legends I ever interviewed. We're talking about five years ago by now. Um, but when it comes just from, you know, the on the field side of playing in Denver, I mean, look, there's no doubt it's a great place to live. It's a great place to raise a family like Russ and Sierra are doing right now. But when you're dealing with the altitude, right, as someone who played at Colorado Boulder, mm-hmm. I mean, how is that as a quarterback? Does that thin air, you know, we always see the success that kickers have in that altitude. Yeah. Does that add a little something to your deep ball as a guy who would run a lot like yourself? Does it make it harder to use your legs? Walk us through that. It'll travel. It'll travel a lot further than normal, truthfully. Yeah. Uh, sea level, below sea level, um, they, we, we, it will travel much further when you go to Denver. I remember when I was in Chicago for a year, of course, being in Colorado for the four years, you get acclimated, right? So I go to Chicago for, for a year. We come back, we play against the Broncos. And I remember, you know, telling the guys the altitude, it may get to you just a little bit, you know? And, and I remember coming off the bench because Chris Chandler, I think, got hurt. And I went in the game, and I remember we called bootleg after bootleg after bootleg. And I'm like, what in the Sam Hill am I feeling? I'm forgetting that it's the altitude, right? <laughs> I throw a nice little corner out to my tight end, and I felt like I barely threw it. The ball just, it just was floating. I'm like, why is it going so far so fast? I'm like, what is, so, you know, that's something that 
he's going to have to get acclimated with. And I think once his body, which obviously it has, or settle in, yeah, he'll get acclimated to it. It's not hard. It's really not hard. Uh, it's just going to take some adjusting. Uh, but he's been there long enough uh, to be able to get out and get some working with his receivers, uh, to get out and work on his own uh, and identify that the traveling of the ball goes a little bit further and it's a mile high. So you're yeah. looking at what, 5,200 feet maybe or so. Mm-hmm. Don't, 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 don't beat me up on the number, the exact number, but nah, it's a mile 52 high. 5,280. So you got it, man. You 50, got it. 5,280. <laughs> there we go. You know, so you, you're, you're looking at a situation where your, your, your lifestyle is going to be great. Your health is going to be good. If you take care of yourself, uh, the games are going to be fun. Uh, you win. It's going to be extremely exciting. If you lose, you know, you just got to figure it out. But most importantly, when out there playing, you got to identify the altitude, whether it's through your fitness or even to how the ball actually travels. And, and that could be a problem for teams coming in it is, is being able to identify that the air is so thin that the ball will travel a little bit further than normal. So, Slash, I got to ask you, when you were in college, just rearing right. back and slinging it, how far could you throw a ball at, at Colorado? Uh, that was about 75, 76. And then when the, we went on the road to Michigan, when we were playing sea level, I threw the Hail Mary pass. That was 74 in the air. And a lot of people like, he's threw a 65-yard pass. No, it wasn't. It was 74 from where I left my hand. So it was a minus 26. And it, it was on the way to land inside of the end zone. So we could say 75. Yeah. I mean, you pick one. 74, yeah. 75. I and always give an extra one. I'll call it 76. Yeah, 76. I mean, whatever makes you happy. Well, that was, was at Michigan, at, at Ann Arbor, you did that. That was in Ann Arbor, yes. That was that was, uh, that was was in a big house, over 100,000 plus. Wow. And got it done in the last moment. So when we used to do our Hail Mary drill, if you will, kind of, you know, have the three guys run down, have the guy on the other side by himself to come over and meet and just – throw the ball up in the air a couple of times just for the sake of feeling it. But then the coach would be down there. Les Steckle would be down there and actually throwing up or Rick Neuheisel would throw it up in a pile. And the guys would be walking to a certain spot. And truthfully, when watching it, it actually happened exactly the way you drew it up. So we had Blake Anderson, number five, who went down, was very disruptive, caused the guys to become anxious who, defend, who were the defenders, to try to get to it, ball popped up off the helmet get tipped. Ty Law, the Hall of Famer, is covering Michael Westbrook. Ball falls right in his hand on the back end. All the guys just go. Jason, uh, Jason, who was it? Ray Carruth and James Kidd and oh, everybody, even myself, running down, going nuts. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Uh, game was such a tiresome game uh, to the point where it came down to that type of a play that was, that was pretty remarkable. But that was a 74-yarder. But as you asked me the question about uh, – how far did I throw it in Colorado? The furthest I've thrown it was like 76 yards in the air, oh, well, which is pretty like, far. Yeah, but, I mean, it sounds like that Michigan ball, if that was at Boulder, that thing might have gone more than 80. From the could have got a couple it. more. <laughs> Joe, we could have got a couple more, buddy. Oh, yeah. We could have got a couple oh, yeah. more. You know, I mean, it was – it was, it was. Uh, I felt it the next day. I promise you I did. Uh, the body, I, was, I, was, I was emotionally, mentally drained because that was one of those type of games that was – that was really tough, but it came down to that one play. You can do that a lot in Denver. Yeah. You know, the air is much thinner in Denver, uh, and you'll have a chance to put more zip on it. The ball will travel a little bit further. So you kind of have to gauge it just a little bit, kind of gauge the wind a little bit, see where it's coming from, and, and give it a shot. And let it rip. And let it rip. And let it hey, rip. You know, I, I want to talk about another quarterback who's got to change the scenery. Baker Mayfield, down in Carolina. Yeah. 
I mean, look, I think it's exactly what Baker needs. Do I think this Panthers team is necessarily going to move the needle? No, but I think that this change of scenery is great for Baker. Playing for a coach like Matt Rule, I think, will be great for Baker. But there are reports. Now, Baker's come out and denied it, that when asked about this opening week, week one game against his ex-team against the Cleveland Browns, he went out there and he said, I'm going to fuck him up. Cordell, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. what do you think about that mentality? Again, he's he's denied saying it, but I don't know. I personally, I want a guy with that mentality playing quarterback for me. What, what are your thoughts on that? It doesn't, the, the, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, so to speak, when it comes down to who they're tagging this to. That's kind of his disposition and his personality, if you watch it, right? Mm-hmm. It's that I don't give a damn mentality, uh, and we're going to come out here and we're going to show you. I mean, think about the work that he did in the four years that he was there with the Cleveland Browns uh, end up taking them to the playoffs in 2020, got their first win since 1994 uh, first appearance into the postseason since 2002. So everything that he did when he was in Cleveland was to better his team in, in the Cleveland Browns. And if anyone says anything different, they're fooling themselves because if you take Baker Mayfield out, as I just ran off those numbers in the time in which they made it to the postseason, they haven't done it in, in a very long time, a very, very, very long time. Coming down to winning one, that was over what? Probably almost 20 years, right? Over, Looking at yeah. eight. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that's a long, over 20 years, actually. Yes, you're right. That's a long, long, long time. So I think Baker Mayfield actually brings this edge, you know, this swag, sort of speak, I think, to the Carolina Panthers, mm-hmm. where it's going to give them an opportunity with Christian McCaffrey back. Look like he's healthy. You're watching him in camp running routes. You know, he's the he's the bell cow, so to speak, uh, for that offense. And I think to be able to have that, which is similar to what Baker had when it came out of Chubbs in Cleveland, he had bell cows behind him. If he could find ways to get a quality running game, he'd be able to control the line of scrimmage, you know, rather be with his cadence to getting the ball out of his hand quick to making plays with his feet if needed. Uh, I think that team can be a team that can be a sleeper uh, when it comes down to doing something in the NFC South, because the Atlanta Falcons, they have Marcus Mariota and company. We don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not buying, I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid whatsoever, yeah. to be honest with you. The New Orleans Saints, they have Jameis Winston. He has a tendency to turn that thing over. Andy Dalton is his backup. They have a lot of great pieces that are on that football team to make them play better than what they've been playing. But then you have obviously Tampa Bay. Uh, with Tom Brady leading the helm, with Julio Jones uh, coming in from Nashville, who was obviously with the Atlanta Falcons prior to that, I still like Baker's make Baker Mayfield's opportunity to be disruptive in the NFC South because no one's given him an opportunity because of this move. Because because the way it sounds as if people are are saying Baker Mayfield wasn't a good quarterback that 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 that's so far from the truth when it comes to he his will and tenacity. He was hurt all last year. Last, Yes, he was. And he still tried to perform and play. Uh, It didn't resort to anything as good as it was the year prior uh, going to the postseason. But he showed you his heart. And uh, he's been doing this since he came out of college, having to prove himself, not getting the opportunities out the gate of whether scholarships or whatever the case may be, and proving himself to be one of the better quarterbacks in college football to where you saw him be one of the better quarterbacks in the National Football League by getting his team into the postseason a year or so, a couple of years ago. And now you see him in position in that division, which is not that strong other than Tampa Bay, to have an opportunity to compete, in my mind, worst case, for the second spot. Oh, interesting. In that division. Interesting. 
And now, the only know, reason I say it's because the, the the offensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is 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 kind of falling off, but it's Tom Brady. But I yeah. still say worst case the second spot in that division. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that that's Tampa Bay's division. What's interesting to me is I'm actually very high on the New Orleans Saints, and, and I know you know your gripe with Jameis, and I get it. The guy went 30-30, and that, not in the good way. You know, we're not talking baseball, 30 home runs, 30 swipes. We're talking 30 tutties, 30 picks. But, or even the show 30 for 30. Yeah, we're not <laughs> exactly. talking about that. Yeah, right. but I mean, you know, but he, he got it corrected. He got the LASIK eye surgery, got his vision fixed. I mean, at the end of the day, look, the guy's vision was awful. He still threw 30 touchdowns, right? I don't think you can dispute Jameis's talent. And if he takes care of the ball, I'm just – I'm very high on that Saints team. I think they got a scary, ferocious defense – they got a great coach in Dennis Allen. I think it's going to be really tough for Carolina to finish any better, in my opinion, than third. But I still think, even if they're a third-place team, that they're the type of team that can go out there in any given week, knock off any opponent. You saw it last year. They knocked off Arizona late in the year, mm -hmm. and that was a way less talented Panthers team than what we're looking at right now. So I think that they can fight, and I think Baker performs better when he's the underdog. I think he always has. Last year, mm -hmm. he wasn't the underdog. They faltered, yeah. but, you know, in that season, that playoff win against your Steelers, he was a huge underdog, and uh, no disrespect, man, but he kicked some ass out there. I am not putting too many chips going up against Baker Mayfield. I am not going to do it. I get what you're saying about Alvin Kamara. I get Tyron Matthews, who's in that secondary now. He's going to be the, the emotional figure on the defensive side of the football. Uh, yes, you have on the offensive side of football with Jameis Winston. <clears throat> Excuse me. Being able to produce now that he knows he's the starter, he gets it. It's it's his. He's back from his injury, but I just think that spot is wide open. And if I had to choose a team between the Saints and the Carolina Panthers, I think I'm going to go with the Carolina Panthers, Ooh. just because I just think Baker Mayfield has a chip on his shoulder that's different than any quarterback within that division. And you know, when you play with a chip on your shoulder. That's an out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. People wonder where the heck it comes from. And before you know it, you're sliding into an opportunity to fight for winning that division. You know how it is when someone makes you frustrated, you're a competitor. They tick you off. They got you saying what the F you're going to do against a team, things of that nature. I just honestly think this team has an edge going into this season, this regular season with Baker Mayfield at the, at the helm. You know, man, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Look, obviously, I'm, I'm never going to sit here and lie and, you know, claim that I, I was an athlete at the same level you were. But when you're, when you're an athlete at any level, whether it's college like myself or professional like yourself, you get that competitive fire in you. I got the perfect example, man. The other night, I'm on a double date at a bar and they got a dartboard. Uh -oh. uh -oh. and, and this guy come, you know, the guy who I'm there with him, his girlfriend, me, my girl, <clears throat> this guy is like, hey, let's play darts. And I'm like, all right, I'll play. But I'm just letting you know, like, I've never played before. Like, I don't even know the rules. You got to explain the scoring. I never played darts before. Man, he started acting cocky like he knew what he was doing. I went Showing out off. I hit two out of three bullseyes, man. I wiped the floor with his head. <laughs> don't, don't get cocky on me. I'm I'll be really mellow, really laid back. Don't start right. showing me up because then then it's it's something different. It's true. <clears throat> well, it, it is what it is. I mean, just going back to my time in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and having to go to the bench for other guys and, and they not do well. You know, mm -hmm. I, I got pissed. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, these guys are going to have a chance to go and play in front of me. I'll show you, but not to tell you. Right. Yeah. And so because you're not believing me 100 percent, you know, doesn't mean that you're going to shun my competitive spirit and my will to be competitive. 
you know, those are decisions that you're making. That's not indicative to my disposition psychologically with what I believe in when it comes to what I do. That's what I see with Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. You know, if he did say he's going to F him up and he's not want to say it because he came off of that emotional high for about 30 seconds after I identified that he has, you know, Garrett coming off the edge, get ready to knock him out, you know, because he's going to want to say he's going to have him up too. Oh, right? yeah. Um, he probably thought about it for a second. Say, no, I didn't say it. But you know what? For the optics and the narrative of that game, week one, I think it's great. I, I think it's phenomenal. Wait. And it's going to force the guys around him to have to up the ante in a sense of understanding that they have to come up to the level of excitement and enthusiasm. It's what's taking place, whether it's in the media, because, you know, it's all about paper champions sometimes, right? You got, you got all these different articles and you got bulletin board. That's what they call it. Bulletin board material. You know, what's up here? Baker makes Phil said he's going to F us up. Then he comes back and he denies it. Then all of a sudden they're going to say, oh, don't be scared of it. Tell the truth. Say, yep. Speak your mind. Right. So, but for me, if I'm a if I'm a betting man, behind the scenes, no one knows about it up front. I say Baker Mayfield goes out and have a hell of a game against the Cleveland Browns because they don't have Deshaun Watson starting week one. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I might disagree. I might think the Saints are going to have a better year, and that'll be fun to follow that little disagreement yeah. we have. But mm-hmm. when it comes to that, I'm with you. I think Baker is going to f up the Cleveland Browns week one. I think he's going to have a big game. Hey, you know, you just mentioned the words. If I'm a betting man. I do want to throw this out there because I think that your audience should know because if they want to see more of Slash, if they want to live on the edge with Slash a little more than they That's already right. are, I think they should That's know right. that you and I are actually uh, doing another show together as there we, we speak that, that debuts today as well. The show Believe Me, it's Believe's premier betting show. You, myself, and the professional handicapper, Brandon Lang. You know, we just taped episode one. I, I got to know, man, what are your thoughts? How, how do you like diving into the, the world of betting? Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's pretty interesting, um, to be honest with you, uh, to, to see how you come up with the over, the unders, to the plus 6,000, 1,600, <laughs> all of these different numbers that you have oh, that's entrenched man. to determine how you actually go to whatever betting venue you can go to to bet. Um, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, to say the least, because as I'm listening and I'm learning, um, I'm starting to identify with friends that I know uh, that may have bet or was talking about betting and what they were talking about. Like I, 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 you know, the over and under, I just started identifying that not too long ago, the over and under, you know, that's the, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's the combined number of both teams, you know, is it going to be over this number? Is it going to be low this number? Or is it going to be right there? It's going to be a wash. You know, what is it? So, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting. It's fun. I like it a lot, to be honest. I actually like it a lot. Yeah, uh, to hear you guys actually talk it. And uh, I just like to sit back and talk football and tell you why you're right or tell you why you're wrong. One and, I, and I love it. I love it because, look, Brandon's made a career, made a living. I mean, hell, they made a movie off of what Brandon does when it comes to, to handicapping games. I yep. am developing a pretty good betting background. I mean, you know, I've paid my rent four straight months from gambling. And uh, so <laughs> when you get me and Brandon going back and forth with the numbers and whatnot, then to have you there with with the football expertise. And, you know, you can yeah, I just say, want to give the IQ. I just yeah. want to give the knowledge of the game to determine it. for those listeners on if they either believing what, what what's being written or they're actually going to do their homework and be a little open-minded and go another direction. Because, you know, what's been, what's been documented sometimes has been wrong more times than not. Oh, yeah. And, you know, other times it's been, it's been pretty accurate too. So uh, at the same time, you know, but it's 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 interesting. I like it. It's fun. 
You know what you uh, bring? I think that, those you know what you bring mm-hmm. that I love, Cordell, is I did a betting show uh, about a year ago. And okay. I did it with a guy from who lives in Vegas, who does this full time, who went to <clears throat> Yale, who never played a sport competitively in his life. But he had he was really good at using Microsoft Excel and he had his mm-hmm. algorithms and his spreadsheets. And what you bring that I love, because I'm not like that, right? You know, like I said, I was a right. college athlete. You bring the eye test evaluation. Sometimes these nerds at Yale need to leave their spreadsheets and their algorithms at home and watch a damn game and tell me yeah. what they think from watching the damn game. And you bring that and I love it. That, that's that's basically like saying uh, the Steelers winning seven and a half point, seven and a half games on a, on a year. Coach Tomlin has been 500. No less. He has not had a losing season yet. Yeah. Not one losing season. And they have them at seven and a half. Yep. Are you kidding me? That's so disrespectful for them to say that. Come on. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, I, I'm truthfully, I'm not a homer. I like all teams, mm-hmm. especially when it comes down to good football. I love watching it. But it gets a little it gets a little personal sometimes, you know, even though I have my own issues with them at times. But the Steelers only went in seven and a half at seven and a half. Are you kidding me? Let's Think do about it. that for a second. Let's do it. You hit the segue. That's what I wanted to get into. Let's talk about your Steelers, man. Seven and a half. I'm with you. I mean, even if they do have the first losing season in Coach Tomlin's history, I think that they're at the worst in eight and nine team. I think eight wins that's, is their floor. That's my point. Eight wins is their floor, which means they obviously are going over on that. But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. I know people probably are caught up into Ben being gone, rightfully so, and total, totally respect and understand the thought process, but this train has to keep on going. And for them to go and actually into the draft at the 20th pick to get Kenny Pickett from Pitt, which is literally right next door, that means Kevin Colbert and company, along with Mike Tomlin and all the other scouts, have been watching this young man for some time. Oh, yeah. And I think the body of work that he put in during the, po- during the preseason, it doesn't indicate what the season will look like, but if you're watching a game for us, how he moves, how he responds, the disposition, how he commands the huddle, the game, the respect he get from his peers. Uh, just does he look like a deer in headlights when he's out there playing? And the answer is no. But the answer is also yes when it comes to commanding the field. I mean, he's one of the older rookies in the game today because he's been in school for over five years, five to six years. He's, he's my COVID age. I graduated two I mean, years ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's 20, what, 24, 25 years 24, of age. And yeah. 24 years old. And when you look at what he's done during his postseason, and, and I know people will say, well, it's just a preseason. Excuse me, I said postseason. It's just a preseason. It doesn't matter. It's not about the numbers per se. It's more about how did he look doing it? Did he make it look difficult? Was he throwing the ball in double, co- double coverage? Was he at the line of scrimmage looking confused? Was the clock, the game clock coming down? Or was it coming down to a point where every time you look around, he was snapping it too late? He looked like he was in a rush. Was he calling timeouts when he didn't need to call timeouts? And everything that we're talking about, he did just the opposite. He did everything well. So he finished this, this preseason 20, 29 of 36, 261, three touchdowns, have a pass rate of 124.2. So that's that's pretty good for a quote-unquote rookie. Um, and, of course, did he go against veterans on the other side of the ball? Probably not. Maybe a couple guys uh, that may have been trades or – you know, free agents that need to get a little work in just to make sure they're playing up to par based on what they, uh, what the organization may think they need to see. But he did his part. I mean, you can't hate the player. You got to hate the game. He did his part. 
And if he was to become the starter, if that was so happened to be the case, I wouldn't have been shocked nor surprised. But Mitchell Trubisky obviously is the starter for this team. And and I think that's where the seven and a half comes in when it comes down to games one this season is because of the quarterback position. I think they're healthy at the quarterback position, honestly. I think Mitchell Trubisky has shown that he's capable of making plays with his feet. Uh, Kenny Pickett has proven that he can actually get the flick it. He can get it out of his hands. The fun part begins once you start game planning to the point where guys are going to be even more comfortable. So to have these two young men with Najee Harris leading the helm behind uh, when it comes to all-purpose yards on offense, this defense coming back with the talent and veterans that veteran leadership that they have mm-hmm. on this defense, I think they're going to be kind, going to be fine. What you're not going to do is disrespect Mike Tomlin, yeah, and 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 and, and think that he's not a part of this process with what he's been able to do over the years since he's been there. One of the most winningest coaches in all of all time when it comes to being a Pittsburgh Steelers coach, let alone in the National Football League, by not having one single losing season since he's taken over as a head coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I mean, look, any way you slice it, Mike Tomlin, and I would argue he's the best right now in 2022. Any way you slice it, you can argue he's a top three coach in the NFL. If you you still want to give it to Belichick, that's fine. No disrespect to Belichick. He's the best ever. Right now, I'd rather play for Mike Tomlin, personally, right now, in 2022. But Yeah, you know, he he doesn't have Tom Tom Brady anymore. So, you know, you you, got to read. He's got to. You know, it's it's a little different. Let's just say that I won't I won't go too deep on him, but he's <laughs> it's a little different for him now. Okay, bit. Matt Jones is it's a good quarterback. I think he's going to be fine, but it's a little different. Mm-hmm. No Gronkowski, no Tom. You know, it's, it's a little different down there in New England. They got to earn this thing now. Buffalo oh, yeah. is taking over. Oh, Buffalo yeah. is taking over. Oh, you yeah. like that part, don't you? Oh, I love that part. I, I love Josh. <laughs> Look, you know I went to college in the shadow of Buffalo, man. So even though I'm not a Bills did. fan, I, I love that team. I love that fan base, man. They've suffered a long time. They deserve some some good years. Um, but, you know, back to this Pittsburgh team, right? It's like you look at the QB predicament and, you know, Trubisky or uh, Pickett, the rookie, and they lose Ben. You know, realistically, this team, I, w- I would say the past maybe two years, They've won in spite of Ben more than they've won because of Ben. Mentally, Ben's still the most prepared guy on the field at all times. Physically, he has been a shell of himself the past couple seasons. And Pittsburgh Steelers football, to me, comes down to defense, running the ball. Najee Harris had a hell of a rookie season, and that coaching staff. And it's Mike Tomlin, and then you, you work your way down. You know, we spoke about this, I believe, on that first episode we did. They have, you could argue, the best assistant coach in football, Brian Flores being an assistant on that defensive staff, this Steelers defense might come out and be a top three defense in football this year. So regardless of what's going on at quarterback, they've already shown they can win with a declining Roethlisberger. I think they can win games regardless of who that quarterback is. Yeah, I I think so too. Uh, When you look at the Steelers, they've always done a remarkable job of identifying the needs, whether it's in the scouting department, whether it's the coaching staff, uh, whether it's players, and they do it very, if you will, methodically. They're not in a rush. They don't overextend themselves. They do just enough to make sure it's understood that there's, if there's a void, we're going to fill it, and we're going to fill it the way we want to fill it so that we'll have an opportunity to make these plays that we need to play make within the scheme that we have on our team. So 
Mike Tomlin has done an absolute phenomenal job of making this thing work, whether it was with Ben or without Ben. And at times, yes, in the latter part of Ben's career, it was kind of sketchy at times, turning the ball over a lot and having to depend on the whether it's the defense to the running game. Uh, I think it was that one year they made it to the postseason a couple of years ago. They were kind of scary. You know, a lot of turnovers was taking place for them in the latter part of that year. But they prevailed, you know, but that's why they call it a team, right? Yeah. It's not just about one guy. It's not about one person. It's about the team. And throughout his career, he's made some remarkable plays and he's made some mistakes. But holistically, the team has always been really good and always gelled well together, regardless of what we knew behind the scenes or not. When they stepped out on the football field, they represented themselves extremely well. Yeah, absolutely, Cordell. Look, you're 100% right. The Pittsburgh Steelers are and have always been a model organization in the NFL. But we've spent so much time, Slash, talking football, talking team sports. I want to appreciate, before we wrap this show up, a phenomenal singular athlete in an individual sport, someone who's hanging it up very soon, who might have, if she had lost, played her final match last night, but instead she decided to mess around and beat the number two ranked women's tennis player in the world. That's Serena Williams slash as a phenomenal athlete yourself in and of your own right. Can you just speak to how, what she's done? I mean, just the astounding phenomenal feats of, of this woman and this athlete's career. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I am not the one, <clears throat> truthfully, excuse me, to, I don't want to mess it up, you know, because if I give an opinion, I'm going to screw it up. I haven't gotten to that, that Mount Rushmore of talent in the sense when it comes to one of the greatest athletes of all time, because she for sure falls into that category. But look at these, look at these numbers here. If you really want to get down to the gist and the facts, as the kids say, cap and fact, let's go facts here. <laughs> Did you right? That's what the kids say. Did you, you, cap, cap you know what I'm saying? This is no cap. This is no cap. Facts, right? <laughs> no cap. No cap right here. So we got 85% when it comes to double, her doubles record. It goes 84.8% when it comes to her single record. And when it comes to her titles, her single titles, she has 73 career single titles and 23 double championships. Like, those numbers are, are beyond conversation. Yes, we know Mike has gone to three championships and he had two three-peats. He's gone to six championships. He's had two three-peats. Um, we know there's other numbers out there. Tiger Woods and, and his majors uh, being behind uh, – Jack Nicholas in, in four when it comes to majors in, 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 in the PGA. Uh, you know, we, there, there's a lot that's out there, right? There's a lot that's out there. But this one right here, this is a female. You know, she, she, she has a kid. She has a kid, and, and, and her body goes through transitioning. And, but yet she's still able, on the, on, the, on the peak of her career, where she was prepared to retire, if she would have not won this last match. She would have retired. But now it continues, it, it extends. And so now she's adding more to the resume and, and to all the accolades and, and, you know, bless his heart, their dad, Mr. Williams, to her sister, um, uh, Venice Williams. Um, she, she, I mean, they all are just unbelievable athletes. And Serena to still be doing it, making the game relevant when it comes to minorities in particular, black, black women. Uh, and also even on the male side, I mean, it's actually transforming over on that side, coming out of Compton, California, with all the, the myths and stories that we hear about Compton, how tough it can be from coming out of there. We saw, had an opportunity to see Anthony Anderson there to celebrate her, also a Compton native. 
and also had Tiger Woods there at the match celebrating her too as well. So Serena's done a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal great deed, if you will, to, to the sport. And if it just so happened that her next match is her last, she's leaving it in great hands. She's done a phenomenal job of putting her mark on it. And um, I mean, I may be screwing up explaining the way I'm explaining because it's, the other stuff is so surreal and so off the chain. And, and uh, it, it's remarkable to say the least. No, man, you, look, you didn't screw any of it up. When you look at Serena, I mean, she's born in Compton, right? For, forget the on the court accolades. I mean, off the court, how she has changed the entire sport, how she has changed athletics beyond tennis, sports in general. I mean, she grew up, you mentioned in Compton, and she grew up in the 80s, right? The crack baby era, where, where yep. if you were born in Compton in the 80s, you didn't have a shot. You had like a 0.0001% of turning your life into something. And her and Venus, and you mentioned, you know, their dad, that great movie, King Richard, depicted that family beautifully, I thought. And, and you mentioned the way that they have just made themselves, made their family into household names and changed the sport to the point where you look at some of the top ranked women's tennis players today. You've got youngsters like Coco Goff, Naomi yep. Osaka, Coco's black, right. Osaka's mixed, she's half black. I mean, you can't guarantee anything, but... I'd be willing to bet money that there's a good chance without Serena and Venus Williams being trailblazers in that sport, that Coco and Naomi and, and all the other young black women excelling in tennis might not be doing that if it weren't for the Williams sisters. Well, well, you have two ways. Um, you have tolerated and you have celebrated. She's being celebrated, right? And it's mm -hmm. all because of the hard work and dedication starting off from the younger years of her life, her small beginnings to where she is today. Um, you know, that, and that's a big word, right? When it comes to sports, you know, especially when you have race components into it and, and, and people come up with narratives about what they think, what you should be doing. But, you know, you, you're, you're in that road of that mode of, you know, uh, you're being tolerated, but then all of a sudden you become appreciated because you're forced. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I think personally, that's what we see. We've had the opportunity to see Serena Williams do is, is force the powers that be to celebrate her uh, mainly because she's won. And, and, that, and, that, and that's rightfully so. Right. I mean, yeah, hey, it is what it is. It's 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 and uh, and she's where she is and she's still pushing. And uh, it's remarkable, to say the least. I mean, I think every human being, it doesn't matter your color. It goes to show you just give people an opportunity to chance. And you'll have a chance to see the best uh, actually come to the top. So I'm glad that they stuck to it, starting off in the early years uh, as youngsters, her and her sister, Venus, and uh, letting it be known that, hey, you know, we're here to play the game the way we play. We're going to look the way we want to look. We're going to talk the way we want to talk. We're going to have a tremendous amount of dignity when it comes to the game and have great sportsmanship. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to do it the way we know how to do it. And to change me is to make me be something else other than who I am. And it's remarkable. And, and I love to see it. Um, and it, it makes, I think, everyone proud, but mainly in our community, especially with the young ladies, especially, uh, it lets you know that tennis is okay to play. Because I know growing up, it, was, it wasn't one of the sports to play all the time, but you know, you know, my dad and I, we did it when we were growing up and uh, went to the playground and would hit it off the wall. That's it's the gymnasium that's connected to the tennis court. And there was a line on the ten on the wall to where if you were by yourself and you wanted to hit it, you can hit it over that line. They had the, the out of bounds line. They had the little, 
you know, yellow line or whatever line that allowed you to get it over. So I had to work on my backhand because I wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, you know, it was kind of hard to, you know, because you got to get the face angle of the racket right. You know, you I can't, can't have the thing facing. You know, you got to over, you know, you know what I'm saying. For those, I you see that it. movement? That's a real movement right there. You know, that's, that's you know, yeah, that part. So, um, facts. Uh, so, you no know, it, it's just no cap at all. No cap. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> so it's, 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 again, it's, it's beautiful to see. Congratulations to Serena. Um, I hope she can continue to make this run uh, winning these championships and getting these accolades. And, uh, you know, there'll be, that family will be talked about for a very, 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 very long time. And uh, statues will go up because of, of them. Uh, because of the work that they've done and all these stats, and and she's still she's still running. It's, the book is still open. It's not closed yet. Not closed yet. Not closed yeah. yet. And, and you know, I'm glad you mentioned you know that it's okay to play tennis if you're a young black girl because you see these quote unquote country club sports, right? Golf, tennis, which is what it was, which yeah. is what it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you got Tiger Woods out there, and you know, I believe you were you were talking um, to me about this before we started recording. Wasn't it Tiger Woods' dad who said our goal is to make golf look more like the country um, more like America. That's mm-hmm. the same thing as what's happening in tennis. It looks like yeah. America. And yes, you know, you, you sometimes have to knock on the door as much as you can to see if you can get in in the, the country clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's no more knocking, you know, the money is being made. People have resources now. Uh, it's now a matter of what you want to do, you know? And, and I think nowadays the game has of sports in general from the, from the, from the, landscape of how football is being looked at at the quarterback position. Now there's no more slashes out there. You know, no one's, no one's going to have to go catch any to then get a chance to be a quarterback and compete against guys. That's nowhere near as good as you are, but because, you know, you're being tolerated, you're here having to deal with that, you know, and not all cities would like that to even in golf, Tiger Woods and how he's changed it and the complexity of how that thing looks. And, and uh, he's been truly remarkable. I think to the sport so much so to where everyone loves to play golf. And now we're playing music on the golf course. I mean, it's just, it's just real hip right now. Now we got tennis and, and uh, you know, it's, 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 it's the Williams sisters that are really keeping it going. And uh, they're the catalyst uh, to all of this. And, and it's and again, uh, much respect, appreciated, loved, love to hear the commentary nowadays. And, uh, could still be much better, but, you know, everything takes funding and, you know, you hope you can get in. But I think this family will make sure none of this stuff is uh, left un- un- unnoticed when it comes to making sure that those young kids get their opportunities because uh, they're, they're going to be needed as they retire and move on with their lives. Absolutely. And like you said, the book's not closed just yet. Slash, that not was a phenomenal all. show. That was a blast. That does it for episode four of On the Edge with Slash, with Cordell Stewart. On his behalf, I'm Joe Serralo. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.